0: Your and turn off the lights. Welcome to Michael Myers Minute, where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. Minute 32 begins with less than a second of the graveyard, and then cut to the second half of the scripted drive. In the original script, the entire drive happens here. We get the graveyard first, it doesn't cut into the middle. And it is scripted as taking place at dusk, even though only the later section actually was filmed at dusk. In the novelization earlier, we learn that Lori has never gotten high and can't draw the smoke into her lungs without coughing. In this scene in the novelization, it says, quote, Grass never did much for Lori, and she didn't expect it to do much this time, but it was the social thing to do, so she dragged on it the way she'd been taught. Quote. What we miss between the first half and this is, from the script, Lori lights the joint and puffs vigorously. As we get in the film, Lori is handing the joint back to Annie as we come back to the scene. We are driving southwest down Cynthia Street in Alhambra, California. Don't Fear the Reaper by the Blue Oyster Cult plays on the radio. Don't Fear the Reaper was released in 1976 from the album Agents of Fortune. The B side for its single was Tattoo Vampire. Don't Fear the Reaper was written by and is sung by Blue Oyster Cult's lead guitarist, Donald Buck Dharma Razor. In College Music Journal, November 5th, 1995, Buck Dharma says of the song, quote, I felt that I had just achieved some kind of resonance with the psychology of people when I came up with that. I was actually kind of appalled when I first realized that some people were seeing it as an advertisement for suicide or something that was not my intention at all. It is like not to be afraid of death, as opposed to actively bring it about. It's basically a love song, where the love transcends the actual physical existence of partners, end quote. Here, but now they're gone the Seas Season don't to feel three. the rebirth Nor do the wind, Earth. the sun, sun, or the rain I don't know music, but this bridge in the middle reminds me of a thing Danny Rubin said about using I Got You Babe in Groundhog Day. How it seems to end and then it comes back, and repeats, and repeats, and repeats. And I can imagine this song, have the bridge, have the second half, fade out, have the bridge, have the second half, just keep on going, keep on going. Which fits the theme. Yeah, life's gonna happen day in, day out, but you're always in danger of that ending. Or in the words of Rose Castorini. I just want you to know, no matter what you do, you're going to die, just like everybody else. Minute 17 and all that talk of fate, really. The inevitability of death, then urge, if not self-destructively, then simply naturally to embrace it rather than reject it. Michael as Reaper, a more specific variation of one of his many roles, fate, death. I will note later this minute how Annie, in the novelization, does see the station wagon following, but she doesn't want to spook Lori, so she doesn't mention it. In this moment, she and Laurie both are talking about being spooked, but maybe talking about it, and smoking about it, alleviates the fear. Death is right behind them, but they keep driving. It's a nice, initially subtle, though on later viewings amusingly obvious, connection. Don't fear the Reaper and Michael Myers. As we must remind ourselves time and time again watching the original Halloween, this may be integral to the birth of the so-called slasher film. But this film exists perhaps just above that pool as something else with serious subjects on its mind. Not that there aren't other, more stereotypical slasher films that also have serious subjects on their minds. But Halloween stands out as one that wears its themes on its sleeves, or out of its teacher's mouths. The lyrics to Don't Fear the Reaper kick in just after Michael and his stolen station wagon comes into view behind Annie's mom's car second 15 the lead-in music serves as a lead-in for michael but i get ahead of myself second 3 annie you still spooked annie takes a drag lori i wasn't spooked annie lies well, the way annie says this lori i wasn't annie hands the joint to lori lori I saw somebody standing in Mr. Riddle's backyard. Annie, probably Mr. Riddle. Lori, he was watching me. Annie, Mr. Riddle was watching you. The station wagon comes into view. Interesting editing. We already missed Lori's first drag. Now, second 14, just as she raises the joint for another, we cut to the view out the back window. The station wagon is more obvious now filming location here is the intersection of Cynthia and Almanzor Street in Alhambra. Michael turns left off Almanzor to follow down Cynthia. Annie. Lori, Mr. Riddle is 87. Lori, he can still watch. Annie. Probably all he can do. In the novelization, Annie notices the station wagon, even recognizes that it is the same one she yelled at on the way home from school, but, quote, not wanting to alarm Lori more than the poor girl was already alarmed, Annie decided to say nothing. But she wondered who this El Creepo was. If you're trying to meet a couple of chicks, this sure wasn't the way to do it. And if you're some kind of pervert, tailing chicks through the streets of a small town was about as subtle as throwing a bomb into a police station. She checked the rearview mirror again, and he was gone. Too bad. Now she'd never know. End quote. Of course, in the movie, Heat doesn't disappear here. He follows him to the next location in Burbank, and then Hollywood. And here... In the novelization, apparently Annie must have read the study about Halloween masks and anonymity I cited at minute 17. Quote, but she had a thought by association, and she uttered it. Have you ever worn a mask? Huh? When you wear a mask, like at Halloween, but I mean a really good one that disguises your face so that people really don't know who you are. What about it? Lori's brow wrinkled as she waited for the punchline. I was just thinking you can say or do anything from behind that mask because people don't know who you are. It's like the Alexandria Quartet, said Laurie. Lawrence Durrell? End quote. The Quartet is four interconnected novels, Justine, Balthazar, Mount Olive, and Clea, published from 1957 to 1960. Annie replies, I never read that. I'm sure, Laurie teased. Somewhere in one of those novels, Durell describes the terrible things that happen on Carnival Night because people wear masks. Murders, rapes, people hiding behind the anonymity to take advantage of each other. Specifically, Laurie is referring to Part 3 of the second book of the Quartet, Balthazar. Annie, with her usual sarcasm, replies, Oh goody, can I get a student discount on a ticket to Alexandria? Be serious, Annie. You're the one who started this conversation. Sorry, but see, that's just what I mean. The idea of not being responsible for anything I do because I'm wearing a mask, it's kind of arousing. For you, maybe, but then you'd find everything arousing. Oh, well, well, that's the kind of girl I am. Maybe you ought to put on a mask and let some of your inhibitions out. Do something mad. It's Halloween. What better time to raise a little hell? I'll bet that deep down in you, there's a fiend who'd push little old ladies in front of cars if you thought you could get away with it. Never, Lori gasped then pausing a beat as a sly smile spread over her face. Little old men, maybe, but never little old ladies. They burst into gales of laughter. Regarding Laurie putting on a mask, it is worth mentioning a little theory I got from John Kenneth Muir in his Tao of Michael Myers piece. That Michael might just be Lori's it. I wrote about this one in my Groundhog Day Project blog. Muir suggests that a specific inclusion of footage from Forbidden Planet might be deliberate because that film, a future-set patch on Shakespeare's The Tempest, involves the id of Dr. Edward Morbius taking on form and sabotaging his mission and killing his crew. Laurie is the uptight one of the female trio at the heart of Halloween, the one who refrains from acting on her impulses. She is interested in a boy, but Annie initially balks not just at Laurie's interest in a boy, but her mere interest in anything to do with the dance at all. Lori does smoke a joint with Annie, but she chokes, she coughs, and she's paranoid about Sheriff Brackett knowing what she was doing. She is the studious one, lamenting that she forgot her chemistry book. She is the Girl Scout, bringing a pumpkin along to her babysitting gig so that she and Tommy can make a jack-o'-lantern. Muir takes a quote from Carpenter as support of this id theory. Quote, John Carpenter himself lends some credence to this Freudian interpretation of Halloween by noting that Laurie... Quote, the one girl who is the most sexually uptight just keeps stabbing this guy with a long knife. Not because she's a virgin, but because all that repressed sexual energy starts coming out. She uses all those phallic symbols on the guy. She doesn't have a boyfriend, and she finds someone. Him. Ever the picker of knits, I must point out that no, Lori doesn't keep stabbing Michael with a long knife. She stabs him with a knitting needle. She stabs him with a hanger. Then she stabs him with a knife. One time for each one. Lori is the sexually repressed one of the group, and who dies here except for the sexually active friends close to Lori? The one detail that could ruin the id theory, though, is that, at best, Lori was a toddler when her older brother killed her older sister back in 1963, but even then, maybe she was there in that house while Judith was having sex with Danny Hodges. And it wasn't about sexual repression yet, of course, but little Cynthia Myers, the future Lori Strode, was jealous. She couldn't punish Judith herself, of course, but she could call out psychically to her big brother. And what then of Michael? Losing who he was in favor of the singular impulse of his baby sister, he picks up a weapon he dons a new face to hide the one he no longer needs, and he murders his older sister because she put her own base needs before looking after the baby. Michael couldn't be himself again, of course, so he is hospitalized. And there he remains until one day Lori sees her friends doing things she wishes she could do, and Michael is called back to Haddonfield. End quote. Back to the present. Second 20, Annie takes another drag. In the script, behind them through the rearview mirror we see Loomis' station wagon pull out of an alley and follow along. This of course doesn't happen. Mike was just still there. Annie. What's the pumpkin for? Lori. I bought it for Tommy. I figured carving a jack-o'-lantern would keep him occupied. Annie. I always said you'd make a fabulous girl scout. Lori. Thanks. Lori takes the joint again. Annie. For that matter, I might as well be a Girl Scout tonight. And that editing again, just as Lori has the joint at her lips, we cut to just Annie, and this is as good a time as any to point out the rearview mirror IMDb goof. At around 29 minutes, when Annie and Lori are driving in the burgundy 1977 Monte Carlo, the rearview mirror changes from being perfectly straight to being crooked. Almost every other scene, the mirror is the opposite of the scene prior. First of all, because I love to nit these anonymous IMDb goof writers, it's not every scene or every other scene, it's every other shot. Because, yes, the mirror is indeed straight on the two-shot, Laurie and Annie, but it's crooked on the close-ups. Annie. I plan on making popcorn and watching Dr. Dementia. Six straight hours of horror movies. In second 38, we finally see Laurie take a drag. Annie. Little Lindsay Wallace won't know what hit her. Lori coughs, and Annie takes the joint back. She does not really react to Lori's coughing, either to worry or to laugh. She may be used to this. Now in the script, it's interesting, the location here on the next cut is the exterior Haddonfield Square dusk. It says Annie's car drives through the main square of Haddonfield, following behind is the station wagon. Now we're about to get to... Now, in South Pasadena, it's not a square, but the corner of Meridian and Mission here, where they're about to be, is a fairly major place. Now there is a train station there. There were train tracks already crossing through. And on one side you have the hardware store. On the other side now, you have the Myers House. And Sugarman Gallery, which I talked about last week, is right behind the Myers House. But this open area is... If there were a square in South Pasadena, this would be it. Interior. Annie's car. Annie points up ahead and quickly hides the joint. Annie. Second 51. My dad! Get rid of this! Lori immediately grabs the joint and puts it where I assume the ashtray is, like she has done this before. I questioned in a... It might be an earlier minute, it might be the next minute with my guest I'm recording this particular episode out of order. Why they stop at all. Like, hey, there's my dad. I'm gonna drive by and get to the babysitting gig, you know? Why pull over? But I guess Annie is curious as to why the alarm's going off and what's going on in her town, which is good. It's a nice note for Annie as a character. Two police cars are parked in the street in front of Nichols Hardware Store. An alarm bell inside the store clangs shrilly, according to the script. Nichols Hardware was 966 Mission Street, South Pasadena. Today, this location is a restaurant, Radika Modern Indian. The intersection is Mission Meridian, as I already said, and not far beyond the hardware store from this angle is the Myers House. From the script, they quickly roll down the windows and begin wildly clearing out the marijuana smoke. Behind them, the station wagon disappears off down a side street. It doesn't disappear down a side street, he just pulls over. Because in the movie, they're not paying attention. And the minute ends. That is all for Minute 32. Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. You can stop us on Twitter and Facebook at Myers Minute, or Instagram, Michael Myers Minute, or join the Facebook listeners group, 45 Lamkin Lane. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review if you like what you hear. And if you really like what you hear, come help me out by donating through Patreon at patreon.com slash Myers Until next time. See you later. Bye. Bye. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh?